Welcome to the You Can Have It All podcast to create a successful business and a thriving family. I am your host, Mona Tavassili. Hello and welcome back. Hope you have been enjoying my previous episodes of You Can Have It All. March is one of my favorite months as we hear many women's success stories on the occasion of International Women's Day. These women are thought leaders. They might not have thousands of likes on their social media, but they are the real influencers and great role models to our next generation. Today, in our Women on a Mission series, Vital Voices Edition, I'm going to share with you an interview with a woman whose story is exceptionally empowering. Saskia Nino de Rivera is a Mexican-American president of Reinsert IEC, which she created at the age of 24 in order to fight for a safer Mexico working with the penitentiary system. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and she worked in the National Anti-Kidnapping Coordination, where one of her main projects was the creation of the profile of kidnappers at the national level and the coordination of the new design of a specialized detention of kidnappers in prisons with high security cells. In 2015, Saskia promoted the creation of the Motherhood in Prison Clause in the National Criminal Enforcement Law and was invited to work on and create the 2015-2016 Social Responsibility Agenda with various companies in the world in the Mexico Global Compact. In 2014, she participated in several working groups for the reform of the Mexican criminal justice system. She conducted a profile study of more than 800 kidnappers in order to create a project aimed at crime prevention. Also headed the Motherhood in Prison study, where more than 11 prisons were analyzed, interviewing 2,500 incarcerated women. Saskia has given numerous lectures on social reintegration, security issues, human rights of juvenile offenders, and psychological aspects for the mental health of incarcerated people. She was chosen as the Mexican leader of the first generation of women by raising talent women's forum and is one of the 3,000 fellows internationally chosen by Ashoka Global for being a social entrepreneur. She was also nominated for the Nelson Mandela Grasa Machel 2016 Award and named Next Generation Leader by Time magazine. She's a winner of the UBS Visionaries 2016 Award, has been recognized by Global Shapers and Women's Forum Rising Talents Mexico. She's also an ambassador of Vital Voices since 2016. Saskia was named by Women Forum 2018 as one of the 16 women who are transforming the country. She received the award Defense of Human Rights of People Deprived of Liberty by the Legal Forum in 2018. She was invited by Vital Voices to the global group of 75 women leaders changemakers in Mumbai, India. Let's hear the interview together. I'm sure you will get inspired by Saskia as much as I did. Hi Saskia, super happy to have you. We're in Mumbai after Vivi Lead. Today was the third day, I believe. So thank you so much. It's been a long day and I really appreciate you being here. On the contrary, I'm very happy to be here with you and thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Um, so Saskia is from Reinserta. Tell us a little bit more about it. I'm always fascinated by your story, always. You. So Reinserta is a nonprofit organization that works um, to better the security issue that we have in Mexico. We work by the idea that if we change the prison system in Mexico and we take control of the prison system in our country, then it's going to have a direct consequence on society. Um, we work with two main issues that have to do with motherhood in prison. 88% mm -hmm. of women in prison are mothers. Um, not only do they have their kids maybe in a situation of 
not having an adult present in their life or just taking care of them. Um, but they're in a situation of vulnerability because of the lack of, 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 of parents that are around, for one, for one. And second, we work with more than 700 kids that are born and raised inside of prison. Oh, wow. um, so that's motherhood in prison. And we also work with juvenile crime. We work with juvenile delinquents, um, kids from the age of 14 to 18 that have committed a crime and that are currently inside of our juvenile centers. And we have a halfway house that helps us with the kids when they come out of the centers in order t- for them to have a, a, a proper readaptation into society. We have to help them in that process, not only think that when they're inside of the communities, of the juvenile centers, they're going to learn how to live in society in a positive way, but actually going with them through this process. And in this program, we really emphasize on um, organized crime and how in Mexico, unfortunately, it has become uh, very popular for organized crime groups to take into their groups kids kids as young as seven eight nine years old and they teach them how to kill people how to pass drugs how to do different things so we're creating an opportunity for these children these teenagers to come out of that life and do you have different programs for mothers and their kids yeah so we have so these two main programs that have to do with motherhood in prison and with juvenile delinquents um we they work separately okay um we have teams we have more than 40 people that work in reinserta every day and a group of around 70 volunteers that are actively helping us uh, with the different programs Um, we have for both we have models that we've established with one we worked with northwestern university and usaid which is the government in the united states Hmm. that has helped us create a model that um, systemizes the, the 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 program so it could be copied in different parts of mexico and different parts of um latin america for a culture situation in the United States. And then the motherhood program, actually Canada um, oh, is who um, gave us the money in order to create the model for intervening, especially with children that are born and raised in prison. So it's a model that has a lot to do with um, how do you work in the basics of a development with a child that's only reality is the four walls of a prison. So it's like basic things that you never think of because we're never exposed to those exactly. things. Certain colors, for example, that they have never seen. Um, they, 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 they sleep inside the cells with the mothers. So normally they're put into the cells with um, lock before nighttime. So they've never seen the stars, for example, or the sky. Um, They've never been in a car. They've never gone to a hospital. So there's like a lot of things that you take for granted as a normal and quote unquote on that um, person or or child that these kids don't have. So we work on those two programs. And as you said, as a normal person, this this is this is something that I, I was not even aware of. For example, it's not something that you come across on a daily basis and then you say, oh, let's fix this problem. So it's really fascinating for me. And I worked with a lot of 
women entrepreneurs. I worked with like thousands of women entrepreneurs through our program. And it's always like the reason is a personal need or they see something in the market. How did you, what is your story? How did you come up with the idea of helping children in the prison? So I actually, the same as you, and I think the same as 99.9% of the population because you never think of a woman in prison because we all know there's women in prison, right? Yeah. But when you think about a woman in prison, you never think, hey, where are her kids? kids is exactly. she a mother? Is she pregnant? Is she going to be pregnant while she's in prison? And what is going to happen to that child? So I think it's something that, A, we have to all start to consider. And that's part of the job that I'm doing, like being able to be, for example, here with you and telling you about the reality of these children. And um, how how I came about this reality was really strange because I had no idea. So when I created Reinserta with Mercedes, my co-founder, we both didn't know there were children in prison. And then we wanted to work with women in prison. So we went into the women's prison and we saw the kids there. And I, I, I was like astonished. I was like, what are the kids doing in here? And I actually asked the director, I was like, listen, I want to know why the kids are in here. And she looked at me like, what do you mean why they're in here? Because they live here. And I was like, Wow. No, no, <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, what are the kids doing in here? And there was like a hundred of them. And I was like, she was like, they live here. They, live, they were born here and they live here with their mothers. And I was like, damn, like, boom, right there. And I think when you do a nonprofit organization, when you're creating a project, a social project, non-for-profit that has to do with really putting an objective to make this world a better place, as corny as that sounds, um, you have to always think what's the urgencies. So when we sat down after having this information, when we sat down to say, so if we're going to work the prison system, what are the programs that we believe need urgent intervening? Definitely children that are born and raised in prison is one of, mm-hmm. of, of, of that. So that's when we decided to work with, with, with children. I actually myself do not have a specialty on children. I um, studied law and then I studied psychology and then I did my specialty on kidnapping and criminology. And now I do my master's degree on arrest and on criminal arrest uh, on high end cases and like corruption and violation on gender during the arrest with women. Um, I, during my career, I never thought I was going to work with children, but it's been fascinating and it's, 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 I think it's a basic part of prevention. That, that's, that's amazing. Like that's fascinating for me that, but it also shows me your mindset that a lot of people probably if they have come across something like that, they would be probably just feel sad about it or think about it, but you took action. So you actually found the solution. A lot of times we um, are waiting for the government or a culture change or something big to change in order to fix the problem. But you actually took action. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you How did you even think that it is your responsibility, for example, or it is your duty? Or what was that calling that made you become the uh, force for change? So I think that um, we all have an obligation as citizens, in my case of Mexico, but also of the world, because I don't know where these children are going to end up. Mm. I don't even know where my daughter is going to end up. Maybe she wants to go to another place to study or she falls in love with a person that lives or was born elsewhere. So I think we're all um, citizens of the world. And and I think it's our responsibility, not only our responsibility, but an obligation as humans 
to really give yourself out to making this world a better place. And I don't mean giving your life. I, there's, I found my passion in, 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 in social justice, in, in, in human rights, um, um, fighting for human rights and whatnot. But I think that we all need to understand that it's not the government's responsibility to make this world a better place. It's all of us is responsibility. Actually, right now we have a huge crisis in Mexico. We have a new president that's coming in and we're very scared because one of his lemmas in campaigning was that nonprofits shouldn't exist because if the government did the, the work that it should be doing, there shouldn't be nonprofits. Oh. And I think that's a huge mistake because one, the government can't work without society, but also we as society, we can't disengage in saying, I live my life, I don't care what happens beyond my community or my block or my neighbors and myself or even my own house. Um, and, and, and we have to start realizing that in order to, to, to really, really, really start making this world a place where our children are not going to be ashamed of the world we're living, we're living for them. I have so many questions from you. I don't know which one to ask. I hope I'll, I won't forget any of them because th- this is just fascinating for me. Um, so you talked about the government. Tell me how is government involved in, the, in, in your non-for-profit? Um, Mexican government is a very corrupt government. We have a r- really big corruption issue, which is which is really hard. So Reinserta has based its nonprofit on private sector. We work with, um, with, with, with private companies, businessmen, and just social people that want to help and, and people in society that want to help. Um, and like 70% of our funding comes from the Canadian government and the US government. So that is really good because it gives us the ability to be really biased on what is going on and if we have to come out and say something is happening for example there was we had one rape of a a guard for towards a woman and she ended up pregnant and she had the baby and they wanted to keep it on the down low but for us when we found out about it it was like we could come out and talk about that and if we would have been funded by that government maybe they would have asked us not to talk and we can't afford to do that um, it's not ethical and it's not part of having a nonprofit. Also, we do cl- work very close with the government in meaning that the change has to come as one. There's, I think there's a mishap um, on some organizations and on the government that when they think about nonprofits, they normally think, oh, they're going to hit us. They want to say everything we're doing wrong mm. all the time and, you know, they, there's no way to make them happy. And... On the other side, too, the government always does everything wrong. They're not doing their job. They should be doing this, and they're not doing this. What point of, of let's do this together? And I understand, as an activist, that you don't have the elements, the money, the resources, or the know-how, even, to fix everything. Mm. Um, but I also have the know-how, as an activist, that as a society, I don't have the resources to do everything myself. Like I need, if I want the changes to come from beyond and not only superficial changes, we need to be able to work with the government, establish, change the laws, for example, um, really dig in and making protocols for the existence of children in prison, for example. So, so I think we have to work 
together, but always have the autonomy of being able to pick point and say that's wrong. Here is a situation of corruption, of situation of abuse. So that's a little bit of how we work. You talked about policies. So if you had all the power, what are the policies that you would change? So children in prison, first of all, if I talk about the, the, the prison system in Mexico, the corruption and how the drug lords are owning the, 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 the prison system, I would first, if it was on me, I would first make the authorities and society understand the importance of having a prison system that really works. Hmm. If you're investing so much money, the prisons should be an opportunity for the people that are in prison to really change their attitude and change their, their way of life. Um, this they do by social readaptation programs that have to do with education, that have to do with sports, that have to do with psychology. I think a big asset of Reinserta is that we're on uh, a nonprofit that's hands-on. Hmm. Um, we're inside the prisons every day of the week, pr- like pretty much except Saturdays and Sundays. And we, 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 really, we really understand and because of so much time that we are with these women and with these children and with these teenagers, we really understand what their needs are and what their stories are. So I think the basics of helping someone and being um, someone that dedicates their life to changing other people's life or, or just being a part of creating opportunities for equal opportunities for everyone is being and having the ability to sit, to stand on that person's shoes. Because it's very easy for all of us to sometimes just say, oh, I want to help the poor. And you can say that from your house, in your car, from a trip, you know, and, yeah. and, and you don't know what it is to be poor. So you have to understand the life that they are living in order to see what the needs are. Because maybe what you think they need, they don't need it. Or maybe with the social skills or with the education and the culture opportunities, education, artistic, and whatever that you've had, you had the ability to have a different mindset that they do. So I think having the humility to, to, to do that, first of all, is a first step to, to, to really having an impact on, on, on social change and, 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 and everything. So first of all, I would have to say that um, you have to know mm. your people. And you have to know the people you're working him with. And you have to really make changes that go beyond, not changes that can um, really affect. When you do policies, you really, that's, for example, going back when we were talking about the importance of working with the government and the government working with with activists and with nonprofits. They're inside the fields. We are inside the fields all the time. We know what we're talking about. We work with the people. We work with these. I know the names of the children, their stories. I know, mm. I know what their their, their difficulties are because I live it every day. So when you do public policy, that's a very important thing. You have to you have to you have to take into consideration. In Reinserta, we actually. A really interesting thing was the first big thing I believe that we did was we actually changed the law. And not only did we change it, we created it. Um, when One of the biggest problems that we saw, for example, with children that were born and raised in prison is that in the law they were nowhere to be found. So mm-hmm. in the law that talked about vulnerable children, for example, um, you, you could see kids with disabilities, you could see kids um, in situations of abuse, you could see kids in situations of poverty, et cetera, et cetera, but you never saw children that were in prison. Like they were literally were not considered anywhere. And they sort of lived off of the good heart of the authorities, of the local authorities that were in that moment 
in charge of them um, or out of donations of yeah. the people that knew. So that was a big change and that gave us as a nonprofit the elements, the necessary elements that we need to really fight with the government to change the reality of the kids living in prison. When we create public policy, a huge problem that has evolved, and not only in Mexico, but I think all over the world, is politicians, congressmen, senators, they're legislating and they're creating laws and changing the law without really having the know-how hmm. and the real know-how on what's going on. And they're using these spaces as political platforms for their own life ideals to be a politician, to be uh, whatever it is they want to they see. So for us, we work really closely with a lot of senators, with a lot of congressmen. But one characteristic that these people have is that they recognize uh, organization and institution like Reinserta, as many others, that have worked for many years now um, attacking one or two problems and that we have the expertise as a nonprofit to really, if they want to change the laws, to tell them what what the error is and where we could really make a change. And this is what we learned today about design thinking, that if you want to find a solution, the people that you are finding the solution, they need to be a part of it as well. We can just assume. Um, and I think that's a very big learning with the examples that were shared and the examples that you're sharing that for anyone, for our customers, for people that we are finding the solution, they have to be involved. We need to understand their need and what are the things that they want us to change instead of, and there are a lot of great examples that we did today, so I'm glad that you brought that up. One thing that you are doing, which for me stands out, is the awareness. Because as you mentioned, as an average person, we don't even know that there is an issue like that. Nobody even talks about it. It's not something that you read in books. It's not something that you watch in movies. So for me, the first time that you shared the story, I was like, wow, this is something that I have never even heard of. So you're doing a great job in sending the message across and telling people that this problem exists. And then you're bringing together all the stakeholders, people that can actually provide the um, solution. So now let me shift gears. You talked about your daughter. So tell me a little bit about your personal life, because the first time that I met you in South Africa last year, uh, you were pregnant. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about motherhood and um, your personal life. Yeah, so I have a one-year-old daughter. Her name is Pia. And um, motherhood has been amazing for me. It's, it's, I was really scared of, of becoming a mother, and I think this is important that we mention, because a lot of women out there have the idea of doing things, but then the idea of being a mother and doing things at the same time maybe gives them a scare. Hmm. Um, I can't I can't do that. If I start doing this, then I'm going to be a bad mother and I'm not going to be a present mother. And So obviously for me, as a working woman, and not only as a working woman, but also as a woman that since I can remember, I always thought that I wanted to work and that I wanted to, to have a, a, a professional life as a priority. Um, so for me, motherhood for many years was not even on the radar because it was, mm -hmm. I was thinking if I want to be a, a professional and if I want to be, um, I want to go out there and do what I want, um, I can't be a mother. And when, when, when I had my, my daughter, it was a very, very gratifying lesson that life taught me. On one, it's definitely that you could do both things. Um, you are the type of mother you want to be. Mm. And your daughter 
uh, Kiran, one of the VV Lead uh, ambassadors, was saying, uh, these kids come out raw. <laughs> and I like True. it because they're raw and you create them. Everything, the first six years of their life, everything you say, do, they copy it and they absorb it and, 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 and they, 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 they plant seeds in their body that will grow to make them the people they are. So, so I think motherhood is an amazing thing. Um, I love my daughter to death. And, and literally in that expression, like I think we always say, I love you to death, but you literally. never mean it to your mother. <laughs> and I don't want to be judgmental or I don't want... Um, people that don't have kids you know they always say oh yeah the, the mothers always talk about the unconditional love that you have for your children it's true it really true, is yeah. and 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 for me it has been it has it has been amazing and far from her being an obstacle from my work she has become a, a solid 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 rock on an inspiration of why I have to do and continue fighting for a better world. So tell me uh, characteristics or things that changed after you became a mother. So first of all, <laughs> um, she's my new partner. I go with her everywhere. So every oh, time, really? yeah, everywhere. I take her everywhere. And um, every time I, I, I leave my house, it involves an extra organization of my daughter is coming to. Um, it's been really nice because people know that I take her everywhere. So, for example, next week I have to be in Oaxaca, which is part of Mexico, because there's a prison there that they want to um, uh, start using, but they need, I'm going to go help them uh, to start using. And the, the government contacted me to go to <laughs> Oaxaca, but I love it because this morning they called um, are you coming with your daughter? Yes, right? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I am. Thank you for asking. Okay, just so we have the arrangements for your daughter. And it's like, uh-huh. for them, in the prison system, so, you know, they're paying for my ticket and they have to put the, I'm coming with a one-year-old, right? So, so um, that's why I say you create motherhood. Literally, mm. you create your time. And there's no right and wrong. We sometimes as women always... I'm a bad mother because I'm not there. I'm a bad mother because I'm there way too much and my son or my daughter are fed up with me. Um, I read their diaries. I, it's like there's no such thing as being a right or a wrong mother. Um, just doing everything you can. And that's what I do. And, and um, it has also created a different relationship with my husband. Um, looking at him and admiring just his fatherhood is also a huge part of motherhood and, and, and of, of creating a family that has to do with this unconditional love and this like unconditioned being there unconditionally uh, in a sense that for example india coming to india for four days you know is from the other side of the world True. is not easy and i decided for the first time not to bring my, my daughter with me because it was going to be really hard on her just the, thir- the more than 30 hours of traveling and just right. 12 hours of you know delay and, and different and it has been my husband that said don't worry she's here with me and like we'll get through this with, with no problem and so I think that having a, a, a solid and I don't want to say husband because not everyone has husbands or boyfriends that are there there as mothers but you do like motherhood I think is motherhood should be in communities 
And in history, it's always been in communities. When you're a mother and you're by yourself, it makes it a lot, a lot harder. You need friends, you need family, you need support groups, you need, because it gets overwhelming. And, and it's okay to, you know, to recognize it and to, and to understand it. And I see, in taking it back to Rizat a little bit, I see that a lot with the mothers in prison. Um, the motherhood in prison, in a good sense, becomes a motherhood in a community. All these mm. kids that live in the prisons are practically brothers and sisters. And the mothers help each other. We, we promote the helping of each other because women that have addiction problems, for example, or women that are violent with their children, um, we've seen a mother that hits his child or her child awfully, and then the other mothers don't allow it. And mm. together they work in how to um, have a different communication plan instead of the fist. Um, so, so, so motherhood has to definitely be in a community. And I think lastly, um, towards your question of how has motherhood changed me, it changes you because you're not alone anymore. And you're never going to be alone anymore. And I don't say it in a, in a selfish kind of way. I say it more of a, you always have to think that you're a mother now. And, and I was talking to some of the VP members, uh, fellows this morning, and they were talking about, um, one especially was talking about going traveling after India and saying, well, I'm, I'm already here. I'm traveling all the way from Latin America and I'm already here. So I want, and I was like, I can't do that. You know, like I didn't bring my daughter with me. And for me right now, at such a young age, leaving her for two weeks is crazy. So, so it is true that you lose your independence a little bit, but I think it's worth the sacrifice. And it's the way we handle it as well, and having the priorities, right? So I believe like you have your priorities set, you know what it is that you want for yourself, what is it that you want for your country, for your daughter. So that's how you are basically managing that harmony between all of the roles that you have. And it's funny you mentioned that because I have an Indian friend when I was in Dubai, and he was telling me that you need to spend at least a day to see the city. And I was like, you know what? I don't even have that day, one day, because I prefer to spend that one day going back to my family and I am absolutely fine with that so it's not a feeling of regret or I wish I could do it or oh, I'm missing out not at all it's like I'm I'm ready to go back and I know that I can come back at any time later on and explore the city with my family but it's just that I have my priorities set I'm here for work for this leadership program but then it's family then later on I can have that fun with them so I've never felt like I'm compromising basically it's just that um, you know, these are the priorities and this is how it is now, right? Do you have that feeling also? You're telling me that you're ready to go back. Yeah. It's, you're ready it's, now it's for a, the family. It's a good moment for yeah. the family. No, definitely. And I think, I think that when you decide, because I think this stuff you decide before becoming a mother. I was talking to my, 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 my co-founder, Mercedes, which is also my best friend. We were, she's pregnant with twins. And, wow. and yeah, and she was really, the other day she was talking and she was really stressed. And I was like, listen, everything's going to be okay. You're, you're, you'll figure it you out. Figure she out. loves to work. And she was really um, worried about, about how she's going to handle motherhood. And I said, you know what? Think of the kind of mother you want to be and just put your mindset to that. And putting your that. mindset means, like everything in the world, means sacrifice. So if you're a mother that decides to be a working mother, then you're a mother that is not going to be there all the time. And that's okay. And you can't go on feeling guilty about that. So it, like you and me, it's say, you know what? I'm going to go a couple of days to the other side of the world and you guys are going to be fine. Because my life also means me, myself, and I. 
And exactly. I think that's fine. And I think we should do it um, without guilt. Because it also, the other, the other day I was talking to a group of friends, awesome women that I, I connect with in Mexico once a month. And one of them was really sad because she was in the office um, doing illegal paperwork. And the nanny of one of her twin daughters sent her a video of the first steps. Mm. So she put in the, in the WhatsApp, she said, I can't believe I'm in the office doing legal work and I'm not looking at my daughter's first steps. And a little bit of all the women that are in the group that we all work and, and do stuff was, yeah, you weren't there, but there's going to be a lot of first times. The first time you see her walk is going to be the first time she walks. And also she's going to be a, 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 a girl, a woman that is very proud of the lawyer her mother is. So it, is, it does mean you have to sacrifice some things as you sacrifice other things when you're a full-time stay-at-home mom, you know. Um, you sacrifice being um, a, a woman that works, a woman that has her own goals that don't have to do with her children. Like there's a lot of sacrificing going on all the time. And and, and I do believe that motherhood is a very, it's, 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 it's a community thing, but it's also you making the decision of what kind of mother you have to be. Exactly. People around you have to respect that. So you have that clarity of, how I want to manage things, and you are 100% okay with that. So the, the, the challenge sometimes between motherhood and uh, working mothers is that we don't have that clarity yet, and we always compare. So, oh my God, if I was a stay-at-home mom, I could have seen this or that, but then if I was a stay-at-home mom, probably I would have missed out on other things that I want to do in my life. So there's no right or wrong. Each person is different, and we define what, what works for us as individuals and then we are okay with that. So I'm, I'm glad again that you brought that up as well. Let's go back to uh, Reinserta and tell me, tell me, share with me one of the stories that really moved you. Like, do you have a story that you feel uh, others need to be aware of to understand the context of your work? So I think there's a lot of stories that have really moved me and have, that are gasoline to what I do. So I'm like a someone against the stream you know like, like are you writing a book you should <laughs> I, I i have two books that i started writing um and i can't get about writing them but i am a columnist uh, i do write every two weeks in uh, a newspaper in mexico and i storytell in the newspaper so it's it's nice because it's a way of writing and a way of 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 of, of, of putting putting these stories out there that i do believe everyone that does something has to put it out there because um, you you have to understand that not everyone has the opportunity and not everyone we, we can't all be everywhere at the same time so by reading and by by reading what other people publish of proper experiences you can you can live the world from a different view and, and you taught us storytelling during the we lead so one of the sessions that you facilitated and um, you you talked about was the storytelling I think it's very important um, that especially when you're working for social justice, um, it's very important that I can I could I could sit here and be like, there are 700 kids that are born and raised in prison, and the law says blah 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 blah, and human rights say blah blah blah. People don't connect with that. Mm. People connect with stories. People connect with other people's pain, other people's happiness, other people's. Uh, worry moments and, 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 and we need to understand that and I also really like that because for me a, a value um, that everyone has to have is the ability of empathy 
the ability of empathy gives us the ability to apply other values in our life and it also gives us the ability to really reconnect as humans i think we we're losing that ability to to be on our cell phones all the time to 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 the other the other day i was at a friend's house and she had her her daughter over with her friends and they were all there there was like six of them and they were all there with their ipads mm. playing with each other through a game in their ipads and we were astonished it was a it was like a, like a, are you serious that these kids are all here we've lost that ability to 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 reconnect and i think through storytelling is a great way to reconnect and also when you're working in a prison not everyone can go in a prison so um telling the stories of how these children live for example how these mother what 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 reality what problems um do these mother face um how these mothers get pregnant for example a lot of people ask me and and what's the what's the, how do these kids grow up what problems do these kids have mm. so living the experience all the time is a really great place to be able to answer those questions and through storytelling i i i i i i like to transmit so there's a lot of moments mm-hmm. i think that have changed um what i do and why i do it um but it's definitely the day on day basis with these kids and with these mothers um the abuses that i've seen the hugs that i've seen the laughs that i've seen the abandonment that i've seen because we do have cases for example that when the kids come out of the prison and go to the orphanages um and the mothers after a couple of years leave the prison they never go back to their kids and mm. now you have a different situation of orphan of an orphanage kid we have had terrible situations of abuse inside prison these women are 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 repeating the conducts that they were raised in and we're not talking about women in in a different they're in prison and they're in prison for a reason and and most of them have terrible terrible stories of abuse of substance abuse of sexual abuse of violence of abandonment of of a lot of things and they start repeating these things with their children so we've had situations of extreme abuse of these women with their children because they don't have the elements um to really connect with their children and communicate in a different way that is not through violence for example um we've had cases a lot of them actually where women use the children to move drugs inside the prison like exactly. babies inside their diapers with cocaine bags um kids that are the ones that move marijuana cigarettes or 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 just other type of drugs in the prison um because the guards can't for human because of human rights the guards can't touch the children so the mothers use the children to do these kinds of things there's like a bunch of stories and at the end of the day the stories are what makes us in reserta the experts on what we're doing because we know firsthand we've seen it we've, we've intervened we've saved these children we've been part of uh the reality in the day by day reality that these mothers and these women go these women go uh by being mothers in prison one thing i love about your work and i think that's one of the reasons so fascinating for me is that For example again as an average person criminals you don't even think about them and they are part of the society that a lot of times even unconsciously you feel that they deserve to be punished 
right? You have forgotten about them. They don't exist and they deserve to be there. But with your type of work, you go and actually work with them. You sit down, you talk with them. I, I, I believe it, it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of, you have a, such a strong character to be able to go and have conversation with them. So tell me a little bit about that. How can you uh, have that, that much of empathy? Uh, and how is their reaction as a person who really cares and talks to them? Tell me a little bit about the relationship. So, first of all, I want to be really clear on this, and I get a lot of negative comments on what I'm going to say, but I don't care, um, is that I don't believe that we as a society have the right to punish anyone. Um, I don't think prisons, prisons are not made to punish people. Prisons are made to safeguard society's life um, and to safeguard victims and, vic and, 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 and people that commit crimes life. Um, they are spaces where you go when you're harming a society in order for you to stop, for the government to be able to stop you from continuing to harm society. Mm. Um, and they have to be spaces where opportunities arouse. Uh, they, 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 they can't be, we can't think, I think the first error that we're doing as a society is thinking of vengeance. Mm. And when I ask on the death penalty for example I do I am am I for or against the death penalty I am super against the death penalty because for me killing someone because they've killed is completely absurd like you're committing the same crime that they've committed and and as a society saying I don't think of someone because they deserve to be punished it's a reality that doesn't help us as a society we can't we can't give a criminal uh, we can feed a criminal with a spoon that he has fed society because starting from there we're doing it wrong so um first of all if you're gonna work with people in prison is you have to be have the ability of empathy mm. uh, to 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 not see that person as a criminal but to see that person as a human being that is already uh being punished quote unquote because i can't find another word right now yeah. uh, uh, is being segregated from society mm -hmm. because of uh, a, a, a problem that they, uh, a crime that they've committed. How do we create opportunities? Because, and I just want to do a parenthesis here, because I have seen when I sit down with these women, when I sit down with these teenagers, with these men that have committed crimes, the first thing that I see is that we as a society have failed them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not justifying the fact that they've committed a crime. I'm not, I, I, I will never justify the fact that someone commits a crime, but I do think that we have to recognize that if a woman, for example, and this is a true story, was raped by the age she was four, multiple times by her father and by her uncles, and then by the time she was 11, she was put on the streets and was prostituted and had a severe drug problem. And by the time she's 21, she's stealing, and then you grab her and you put her in the prison and you say, you're a thief. I think that is wrong of us as a society because where were we when they were raping her? Where were we when she was 11 years old and she was being prostituted, where she was being drugged? And, you know, where were we? No one said anything then. But now that she's in prison, we label her and we say, you're a bad person. It's like, no, we don't get to do that. So understanding the reality and hearing the stories of the people that are in prison is also a way of preventing and say there are certain patterns that have... For example, out of 10 women that are in prison, nine prison women have been sexually abused. So we have a problem that 
has to do with crime and the trauma that abuse abuse has. You talked about empathy, for example. And for me, empathy is when a baby is born, they have level 10 of empathy. Mm. And I really like to explain empathy this way because it's, it makes it really easy for the people to understand. So we all are born with, except if you're a psychopath, that has to do with a neurological problem. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing that has nothing to do with it. So you are born with level empathy number nine, number 10. And your life starts and life happens, you know, and you get heartbroken and your dog dies and your grandma dies and you get expelled from school and your friends um, uh, stop talking to you sometime and you don't go on the football team. You know, normal thing happens that makes you a stronger person and that are fortunately as a defense mechanism, we become more harsh you know, as human beings. So our levels of empathy become, become, become smaller. And if you are a person that has, has the opportunity to have a loving family, for example, if you're a person that has always had friends, that has the opportunity to travel, that has the opportunity to be in a library, that has the opportunity to be at a park, to, that has a hug every morning or every night from a family member, and I love you, um, your levels of empathy stay way up because you're a, you're, you're a complete person. And your ability to have empathy towards other people is greater than a person that by the age that was four was being raped by the people that are supposed to say I love you and wish you a good night's sleep and that was put on the streets for prostitution. That level of empathy on a person and it's natural because of a mechanism of defense to come down. So when I talk to these women and when I talk to these teenagers and this men, as they've lost the empathy, and that doesn't mean it can't rebuild it, but social readaptation has to do with how do we give these people the opportunities to understand that it's a fresh start for them and that we understand what they need, psychological intervention to be able to work on those traumas that they've had before in life. Um, Spain has an awesome program on social readaptation, especially for women, um, that has to do with if the crime is minor, they work with nonprofits, and instead of putting the money in the prisons, mm. they put the money in the nonprofits, and you, they have, they have to do the judge sentence them to certain hours of community work. So they come to the nonprofits, and then they're close to different realities, and it sensibilizes them as human beings instead of putting them in prison situations that continues to desensibilize them as as people. What was I? opening for me when you share the story is that you go to the root of the cause. It's not just a surface, okay, yes, she stole, but why did she steal? What happened that made her steal? Does a normal person steal? No, so there was a reason. And what really was important to me was when you highlighted that reason. So you went to the cause of the situation and th that's amazing. So congratulations for doing something which is that deep, basically, that for years, I don't know if they have even thought about it. Um, and as an average person, maybe at the, at the government level, there are things that are being done, but just informing others that such a thing is happening, it's a paradigm shift of, as, as a normal person also, I become more empathic when I see a criminal, that I say, okay, what happened in his or her childhood that made him or her do such a thing? Exactly. Um, I know you have a flight tonight, so I just ask two short questions and then we end it up. Um, so one is, Saskia, we talked about your motherhood, talked about your um, uh, nonprofit, and 
for example, my type of work, I work with other women entrepreneurs. I, I, I get energized when I'm with them. So I feel that my energy level is actually go, goes much higher when I spend time with them, with my type of work. But then with your story, it's, I believe it's emotionally draining at times, just hearing these stories, conversations. Tell me how do you deal with that? How do you make sure that you don't get affected by all of these stories that you hear throughout the day? So I, uh, of course you get, you get impacted, but also you become too used. Yes. To, and you canalize it in a different way. If I see a movie, I, I would cry. Any movie, I always cry. Yeah. A Disney movie, I cry. I cry all the time. Um, but you become more sensible to other things because you hearten yourself, unfortunately, to hearing the stories and looking at these realities in order to make change. Because if I would go in the prison and hear a story and start bawling all the time, then I'm not working for that job, you know. Um, I'm not good for that job, so I, I go to therapy. Okay. Um, I talk a lot to my family and, and my friends about what I do, and I have a great team also that 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 that, that works as a scapegoat on, on all of this. Are there anything, any routines that you have or habits that you makes you take care of yourself, self care? So I try to do exercise. I'm okay. not very keen on exercise. I, I, I get bored, but I try to, to do it. To do it. Uh, um, I have time with my daughter that is established. Mm. Um, so I go to certain classes with her, and, nice. and I don't move those classes ever. Um, and I try to be at home uh, in, a re in, a, in a decent hour in order to watch a movie, in order to go to the movies, to have dinner. So I try to balance my life um, in order for it to, to work. Perfect. And the last question to make it a little bit more fun, tell me one thing that others don't know about you. Um, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so I have a piercing under my belly since <laughs> I was 14 years old <laughs> that I've never ever taken out. Um, I have, uh, um, my grandmother is a Holocaust survivor. Okay. I have, um, I had a pet pig all my life. <laughs> I don't know. What to I've say. never heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was really interesting. Saskia, thank you so much. You I know so you had much, such a short time. It was a long day. Yeah. You have flights tonight, so I really appreciate 30 it. Hours. 30 hours 30 flight. Hours, but, yeah. but people like you, women like you, give me hope that, I appreciate you uh, so much. that the future is bright and we can make the change happen. Is Even as an individual, we can just own it, be responsible to create a better society, better community for ourselves, for our family, and for everyone around us. So I salute you for that, thank and you thank so you much. so much. The admiration goes both ways, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on this on this space with you. My pleasure. Thank you, Saskia. Thank you. Bye. Here you have it. Saskia's story is extraordinary, and I feel honored to be able to share the amazing work of these changemakers with you. I met Saskia for the first time in South Africa in 2017 when she was pregnant with her child and I was amazed by her achievements and how she fits motherhood in everything she does to make this world a better place. These women shine a light in my heart that our future is bright. Check out the show notes for more information about Saskia and her work on monatavasuli.com and I'm super excited to share another amazing story with you in the next episode. Make sure to subscribe and share this podcast and I can't wait to talk to you soon. Have a great day. 